Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray, and I am your host. And I am so excited today because we have on a history maker. Um, our guest today made history this past year as the first rookie coach and first woman of color to ever win the NCAA Division I's Women's Soccer Championship. She is a former Stanford assistant coach where she led them to two national championships as well. She's coached some of the very best, including U.S. Women's National Team players Andy Sullivan, Katerina Macario, Tierna Davidson, Sophia Smith, Naomi Gurma, Alana Cook, Jane Campbell, the list goes on. She was an ECNL club coach for MVLA, and she played collegiately as a starter all four years for Jerry Smith at Santa Clara University. Please welcome UCLA head coach Marguerite Ausosa. Thank you so much. Hi, how are you? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. Was quite a bio. My goodness. I was like doing some research. <laughs> like, my goodness, this is pretty impressive. But one of my very favorite things I didn't include in the intro is when female footballers started a long time ago. Um, I think it was like 2017. We were kind of doing our clinics. I reached out to you at Stanford, and you were one of the only people that responded to me as this like independent, one off, small nonprofit. And you brought the entire women's national, or sorry, women's Stanford team down to Los Gatos and did a clinic for us as a volunteer. It was so awesome. I just, I just want to thank you again, because it was so awesome. Yeah, no, I remember that like very, very clearly. Um, and it was fun. And I know our girls, the Stanford players at least had an amazing time. And um, it's so cool to see just how far you all have come and how female footballers has really evolved over the last five years or so. Yeah, yeah, it's been really fun. I just got to be persistent, right? But yeah, I just love that. And I know so many of the girls that came to that clinic were so thrilled. And um, and just looking back on it too, like we look at all the pictures, I'm like, oh my God, Andy Sullivan was mm -hmm. there. And like things like that were just like, how cool. So thank you for doing that. Um, let's jump in. So I just, um, I'm so grateful you're here and and I'm, I'm, you know, I know your time is so valuable. It's been so awesome to see the trajectory of your career over the last five years too, going from, well, having played at Santa Clara and coaching at MVLA as a, another Bay Area person, it's really fun to kind of see your um, your career take off. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your younger years, your background, more as like a player, I guess, like how you came up through the ranks um, as a youth player and got into uh, Santa Clara, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, by today's standards, I started soccer kind of late. So I think I was like eight. You know, yeah, <laughs> which is like ancient now, but I first started playing soccer when I was eight years old. That was quote unquote delayed a little bit because my brother actually hated soccer. I have an older brother and he started it and he hated soccer so badly that he actually told my mom the season had ended before it did. And so like only played half a AYSO season. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's and so of course, like as little sisters do and are like, I wanted nothing to do with it. Like, <laughs> nothing at all. And so eventually what happened though, is all my closest friends at school were playing. And so my mom, she's a realist. She's like, Marg, if you want friends, like you are probably going to have to play soccer because all your friends are doing it. They're like obsessed with it. Like, if you don't do that, then you're going to have to make baseball friends, which is the sport that I was playing. So I was like, okay, fine. So I like, that was my very like unceremonious entry into the game. <laughs> like I played because okay. I needed rides and all my friends were playing, yeah. um, but things obviously quickly took a turn and I was very, very fortunate. I think I played two years of AYSO soccer, the Teal Seals, like we were terrible. And then Blue Gargoyles, we made a big comeback that next year. <laughs> I think I was like in fourth grade at that time. And 
at that moment, all my same group of friends that was playing AYSO, they all decided to try out for a club soccer. And so similar conversation with my mom, like if, you know, you're going to have to kind of do this. Also, my mom, like single mom teacher needed Mm -hmm. help after school. And so again, I didn't have like a huge choice in this, but thankfully I loved it. And so I tried out for club soccer, ended up making one of the MVLA teams way back in the day. I was actually on the second team for like a fall or a spring season, I think. Um, Random fact, Ronnie Fair was my first coach at MVLA. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. So that was like really funny. We I just like the things I remember is one player on my team was obsessed with making mud balls. Like we, you know, we were just learning. Um, and then, so I did one season on the second team. And then right after that, I was moved up to the first team um, kind of in our club. And then I was very lucky, had an incredible club experience, like just loved it. All my closest friends were playing. Um, I had an incredible coach, Albertine Montoya. He just like made me see the game in a way that was exciting. I think to me and made it so much fun that we were just all of us, every single one was like addicted to playing. And then I was very fortunate kind of through that. I think I got a huge, just the development environment was great. And so I learned the game quite thoroughly at a young age. I was fortunate to be in like youth national team systems and stuff like that when I was pretty young. And then from there got recruited and decided to go to Santa Clara. Um, I was very lucky. I had a really positive experience there. Jerry and I like hit it off. I think we would challenge each other quite a bit in how Mm -hmm. we saw the game and how, you know, he's very much a tactician of, of sorts. And so I was challenged in that way to like decipher the game in a more strategic manner. Um, and then from there, I had many injuries, so I knew playing professionally was, I was on borrowed time already in college. So I knew that playing professionally was not going to be it, but I also had like a, just like a lurking feeling that I wasn't going to be able to step away from the game ever. And so very early on, Jerry would encourage me to coach. Um, when I was like 18, 19 years old, he's like, we all know you're going to be a coach. So I don't know why you're fighting it. Like just embrace it. (laughs) So, yeah. So I kind of did that. Um, and so as soon as college, not even when college was done, I think my sophomore year, I started coaching full-time in the club scene. And then when I graduated, it was just like a very seamless next step to just go into coaching full-time. Yeah. That's awesome. And you chose to go back to MVLA, right? Yeah. So kind of, I mean, it's all I know. And at the time, like Albertine was my club coach when I was younger, by the time I was in college, he was the director. And so it made sense just to do that. Um, I started teams that were, you know, six years old. So I think their birth years were 2002 and 2003. And so some of those kids that I coached when they were six, they're now going into their senior years and junior years of college, which is really cool. And they're playing kind of all over the country. So that has been like a really special and rewarding process. Um, And then I kind of made the transition into college soccer Again, like I've been very fortunate that will never be lost on me. And I wasn't necessarily searching to go into the college game, but um, Stanford had an opening and it was kind of like a right place, right time, good fit kind of thing. And so um, Paul reached out to me when I was coaching at MBLA. And then two weeks later, I was on the job and I was only 24 years old, had never coached college soccer before. And there I was assistant at Stanford. Just, I was living living in the light. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> was it, um, what year was that? Was that 2015? Okay. That's what I thought. Um, wow. That's amazing. And, and just, I think that's also a testament to like soccer in the Bay area. You're at the best club. I mean, in my opinion, one of the best clubs for UCNL and, and coaching in general. I mean, they've got their stuff together. They're a very prestigious club, been around forever too, doing it right. And then you go to like one of the, the most prestigious um, college experiences. I think that's awesome. And that they're like five minutes away from each other too is pretty cool. Yeah, very um, convenient. <laughs> and I mean, to be coached too by Albertine, who's, you know, he's a legend as well. But then you have Jerry, like all these people in your life. Did you have any female influences as coaches in your youth? Not really. Um, I mean, I say that, but of course, Erin Montoya, Albertine's wife, has been a huge influence for me. She was never my um, like direct coach, but obviously very involved in our team when we were very young. Um, and then she was my high school coach, which was oh, kind wow. of funny. Yeah, so we were very fortunate. Like Albertine was my coach for club. And then when we would have our quote unquote off season for high school, Erin was the coach. There was a lot of continuity there. Mm -hmm. um, but Aaron and I actually got much, much closer in like the last five to 10 years. So more so when I was a coach by, you know, definition and she's been huge for me. She's just like, she's so calm, so steady. Uh -huh. She kind of rides the waves of the ups and downs of club soccer, which can be very trying. And she does oh. so in a really elegant way. Um, and she's one that I've always been able to just like go bounce ideas off of. And I know for people who know them, like, everyone knows Albertine's like the energizer bunny like bouncing off the walls and as if you give him any problem he's trying to solve it 10 different ways like in the first five seconds whereas Aaron will just like let you talk about it and then come yeah. to your own conclusions and so the two of them have been hugely influential in my life oh good that's so awesome um so then you're at Stanford and you've got you know like the slew of women that you've coached too is is phenomenal but clearly like I feel like what I get gained from you when you came out to our clinic is you definitely value the mental side of the game, which is what we do here at female footballers. And, and before we get super into your collegiate career, you know, up until that point or right when you get hired for Stanford, you know, Albertine from what I've heard, never been coached by him or anything like that, but, and Aaron, um, you know, they value whole player development and that side of things. And so does Jerry. And so were they big people in the culture piece, the leadership piece of, of, playing and then transitioning into coaching? Yeah, I think they've all been huge. Um, like when I think on my club career, I, I mentioned it already, but I, Albertine does an incredible job of like creating a, a true love for the game. And mm -hmm. I think that is where it has to start. Like you have to love it. And I think college soccer at times is a bit romanticized. I'm sure the same as like pro soccer, mm -hmm. like it becomes a job and you have to like be, you have to have some enjoyment. And I think that's another piece that Albertine really stressed and Aaron as well, where it's like, yeah, what we do at the end of the day, like we do this because we love it. And like, you can't lose sight of that. And anytime you feel yourself starting to do that or starting to resent the game or not wanting to go to practice or whatever, like that's something that should be addressed and acknowledged right away. Absolutely. And whether that's within yourself, whether I think now when I put my coaching hat on, like that's something that we are actively searching for is like, if we see any indication that our team is not enjoying it, like we take that responsibility of, okay, we need to change something because at the end of the day, like that's hugely important in what we do. And I think that goes like, that goes back to mental health and, and your relationship with the game. Like you, you have to love it. 
And if you feel yourself going down the path of like having a lot of anxiety going to practice or not wanting to be there, like that's something that should be addressed. Um, I, I love that you're saying that because I feel like we talk to so many people and they put it on the player only. And it's the, you know, it's the ownership of the player to love it and to find their passion. But like you said, if you noticed it, you address it. I think that's also part of the coach's job. And I just love that you, at the highest level, somebody who just won a national championship is saying that. And hopefully parents are listening to this who are actively getting their, you know, daughters recruited and, and they hear that from a college coach, because that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I've told this story a million times, probably on a million other podcasts, but when I first got the job, Albertine was one of the first people I called, of course, and because, you know, he's been my coach or mentor really since I was eight years old. And so 20, 25 years later, like I've had to leave. And this was the first time I've ever left the Bay Area. So it was a big deal for us. And um, we both were like kind of crying or tearing up when I told him I hadn't even got the job yet, just that I had talked to UCLA. But um, he felt very confident that I was going to get the job. And he was like, just remember, like, when you take this program over, like nobody said you couldn't be the best team in the country and also have a blast like that's not a rule that's a fake rule that people make like you can be the best team in the country and you can have an absolute blast and you should and that's something as a program we really value um and I think sometimes we lose sight of that I've had there's a parent that comes to mind like when I was coaching club they left my team early on and I get it like I was a young coach I had never done it before admittedly fine whatever and um this family like removed their daughter from my team because they said it's not a professional enough environment. Like they have too much fun. And I'm like, I just don't know why that's a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that the point? I think people just lose sight of the overall point. And I just love Mm -hmm. how much joy and fun is a part of, and it's clear that when that is prioritized, like that, the winning mentality is a part of it. You know what I mean? It comes with that but that has to almost come first. And it's clear oh, yeah. when you're coaching at Stanford during that time that that team had fun, you know, mm-hmm. like when they came out to that clinic, I got to see their, their banter and their, you know, the culture, you can really, you can feel it when you're around it. And, and look at, looking at some of those girls you coach that have gone on to play at the highest levels. Um, that's a big, their, their personalities shine through in their play. And it's clear that they've had fun and joy fostered in their experience too. Yeah. Um, think, oh, sorry. No, no, go for it. Just to say, like, I think when you create that environment where like enjoyment is valued, where trust is valued, like those things, then like you just better prepare players to face the ups and downs that they're going to face. Mm-hmm. And ra- like rather than make an environment where the things like anxiety and fear and doubt are the drivers, right? Like you play well because you're scared to make a mistake, like rather than that environment we try to create an environment where it's like, can the environment be so good that you feel the freedom to make a mistake and try things and take risks because you can, because you have the support. So it's just like a, I think a kind of a different take on things. And I think the narrative in the past has been like, you can't be good unless you're super professional and it's like sterile, Mm -hmm. but that's not how we feel. Yeah. And it clearly works. I mean, you're part of both two different collegiate programs that are the best in the country. So did you learn a lot of that at Stanford as an assistant coach? Was that part of their mentality or was that more just from your youth experience with Albertine? I think a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will always say Albertine has been the biggest influence in my life and kind of how I see the game and how I see coaching, honestly. Um, but in my time at Stanford, I think 
we Stanford itself is a pretty stressful environment. And mm-hmm. so there is a big emphasis on like, okay, can there, your time in soccer be the time where you can let loose, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of embrace that. I will say like the other assistant at the time, Hideki Nakata, who's now the head coach at Utah, he's big on this. And so he adds, I think in my time at Stanford, when we were most successful, he was a big influence in that of like, mm-hmm. let's prioritize having fun with each other, even in a pretty stressful environment. Yeah. And what do you think at Stanford? Is it just the prestige of the school and the academics that made it feel that way? Or is it just you're recruiting some of the the most intense best players? Is it a culmination of both of that or? Uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's self-selecting like just yeah. because the school is so intense, like it, it takes a lot of sacrifice, discipline, commitment, all those things to get there. And so by nature, that's typically the student athletes that would that one we would recruit and two, the ones that would want to be there um, tend to be like, for lack of a better term, pretty type A. And so I think they have to pretty consciously prioritize like time for themselves and time to kind of let their guard down or time to de-stress. And, and from what I hear, I, you know, we were lucky enough to um, have on the Meyer family and discuss um, Katie and her experience. They had such wonderful things to say about you and the support that you gave their daughter. And and I think it sounds like maybe in your role there, you really did provide a lot of that fun as well. And um, I know I don't wanna take a, a, a dark turn on this, but is there anything you had to add to that? Just, um, you know, how you infused that with, with all the players there and, and Katie in particular? Yeah, I think like, Katie, I I know it's at times really hard, but I actually very much enjoy talking about Katie. I think it, I like I I really cherish my time I had with her, and to bring up the memories is always brings a smile to my face, honestly. And because she was that type of player, like she's gonna always push the envelope. Like she she is definitely one of those people that was like give her an inch, she's taking a mile, and she's gonna let you know about it. But it was fun, and it was like you mentioned banter Katie was like the queen of banter and Mm -hmm. always found a way to like be super competitive but also like even when she would go too too competitive too intense to be like yeah sorry guys I don't I lost it there my bad like and be laughing about it you know she's like wow I went over the edge my bad you know Um, (laughs) and so she was huge in that and I think yeah one of my biggest roles at Stanford was to support the players that way like to be the one they could come to and be like, Hey, I'm like super stressed today. And I'll be like, yeah, that's all right. Like we got you, you know, yeah. let, let's take a walk. We're okay. Um, and to create Katie's credit, I think she was always super open about that. Like when times where she was super stressed or having a hard time, like she'd, it's funny. Cause she's a lot bigger than me. So she'd always like put her arm around me and be like, Mark, <laughs> I'm stressed. <laughs> be like, I'm like, I got you big girl. Like, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm here. And, um, I really cherish the relationship that we had. And, um, as hard as it is, of course, like her passing has really influenced me as a coach um, and as a person, of course, and it has really influenced also how we at UCLA kind of value mental health and talk about mental health. Just our approach to mental health within our program, I think, was highly influenced by by one Katie, of course, her passing, but also just who she was as a person. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's so it, I think what's like the silver lining of the whole situation is just that it has really brought a light to the collegiate level mental health. We, we work with really currently yesterday did a session with Southern Utah university with Kai Edwards program Mm -hmm. and, and doing a lot of these sessions. um, I think it's necessary. So 
let's jump into UCLA. Like, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about UCLA and what you're doing mental health wise, but mm -hmm. in general, you get the job first year national championship. Like that's unheard of and so amazing. So tell us about that whole experience and then we'll dive a little bit into how you're infusing some of the mental side into it. Yeah. So I don't even know where you'd start, but, <laughs> um, it was obviously an incredible experience. Hold on one second. You might have to cut this part for a second. <laughs> no worries. My assistants are trying to get in my office and I don't know why. My bad. <laughs> um, but obviously incredible experience. It kind of a whirlwind. Um, I will always say like I wasn't actively searching for a new job. I was incredibly happy at Stanford, incredibly happy in the Bay Area. Um, I had a lot of things going on in my life at that time. I was getting married the same week and I was just like, you know what? I'm very happy if this works. It's great. If not, like I'm good. I'm not losing sleep over this because um, I was just so stressed. But um, when it all kind of came together and I got in the room with sports administrator and with the AD, like everything was kind of falling into place. And I think what they were looking for, it was kind of all the things that I was talking about. So constructing a culture in which, you know, there was enjoyment and there was intensity and they, we kind of had an idea of what it would take to win at the highest level while also valuing how we treat people and valuing how we treat each other in the program and stuff like that. So there was a lot of alignment right away as to what UCLA was looking for. And then also kind of how I fit into that. Um, when I first took over, I mean, of course I was kind of slapped in the face of like what it feels like to be a head coach and how different that is than being an assistant. And yeah. like, you can talk about it all the time, but you just don't know until you sit in the room and you're like, wow, I'm actually responsible for all these people, mm -hmm. not just the players, like the staff included. And I think that, um, that was a big adjustment for me, like feeling that weight of that responsibility. Um, I often tease my one assistant. She's a bit of a stress ball. I'm like, why are you stressed? Like you're an assistant. All you have to do is give your best opinion. And then ultimately yeah. like you've done your job. <laughs> like yeah. what's the stress? Um, doesn't matter, <laughs> but yeah. not to diminish like what assistants do, but it's just a different level of responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, I have to go home at night knowing like I chose everything this program's doing mm -hmm. or proved yeah. it. Like ultimately it comes down to my decisions. And so that, that was a big, big adjustment for me. And I'm still kind of getting used to that. Um, in terms of team, the thing that stood out the most is like, they were so receptive of everything that we were doing right away. And so we didn't really face a big adjustment period. They were just all in. And like, we, we did a lot of fitness. We did a lot of defending. We did a lot of like hard conversations and things that maybe a different team would have resisted or not bought into right away. Like they kind of just dove right in and that really helped us. Um, we had to make a big pivot quite honestly, because obviously coming from Stanford, I, my blueprint for success was perhaps a lot more rigid or regimented than what ultimately led to our success here. And that's just because it's diff it's a different school. It's a different program. It's a different personality. And mm -hmm. so I had to kind of abandon in some ways what I thought was going to work and restructure mm -hmm. into what I felt was going to work maybe a lot better. Um, kind of more, even more so embracing some of that enjoyment and being a little more lenient maybe in some ways than I was anticipating. Um, that's then, interesting see. to hear too, because I think a lot of coaches don't always um, want to make those pivots. And the fact that you lean into those pivots are, it's a testament to your success. I mean, I think that's 
huge. And especially in today's climate coaching, you know, female athletes, it's not easy. You're like a mom half the time. There's the levels of what you have to do that are not in the job description 10 years ago, you know, even five years ago. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, kind of joke that like we could be licensed therapists, <laughs> but by the time we're done, <laughs> like, totally. like, we have a couch in one of our offices and we jokingly call it the crying couch. And usually it's not because of anything we've said. It's just because kids come in and they're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and Mm-hmm. we tease them that it's like we know you're okay it's just the couch it's just you're just sit crying because you're on the couch it's fine <laughs> like it's okay just let it out um and so we you know we we try to be accessible in that way um mm-hmm. we try to make our program a place where you can do that um but it's yeah it's hard we kind of say often like there are so many things that we do that are not there's no handbook for that Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and quite on, I know we've talked about it and I don't, I don't show, shy away from talking about it, but like Katie's passing was one of those things. I had just taken over the job six or seven weeks prior mm-hmm. and that happens. And I was like, how in the world do I like, what do I, what do I do mm-hmm. when I was struggling so much, obviously. And it was, um, a real turning point in our program because it, we had talked so much about mental health. But it was kind of like one of those crossroads where as a staff, we had a real choice to make, like, how are we going to handle this? How are we going? And maybe more importantly, how are we going to present ourselves in front of the group when we're having a really hard time? Mm -hmm. And so we had to, and we chose to like stand in front of the group and basically say like, Hey, like we're all struggling. I'm really struggling. Like, and I honestly don't know what to do right now. So you're going to just have to give me a few days. Like that was kind of the talk. Yeah. But I think that's so important. I think that coaches often feel like they can't be vulnerable like that in those situations of adversity. And so they almost get quiet. And then that sets a precedent, an unspoken precedent of like, we're just all going to be quiet in these moments. So the fact that you were open and vulnerable and honest, I think maybe gives them that permission to be that way in their moments of adversity. And that can only create a tighter bond when everybody's able to be vulnerable which is obviously, I guarantee, probably part of the culture you created out of all of that, which led to your success. So that's awesome. And I, I hope more coaches are taking notes from, from what you did, all those pivots and the things you're talking about, because, and I hope you're talking about them at length on everyone's podcasts or in conferences and coaches stuff. Like I hope you were at United Soccer Coaches or wherever you can go <laughs> to talk about this stuff to get in front of people, because more coaches need to take notes from this. I think that's so awesome. Yeah, I think. It, yeah, it was just a huge moment for us to uh, honestly like sit in silence for a minute because it was like, what can you even say? But then to just say like, yeah, we're all having a really hard time. And, uh, you know, we talked about suicide very openly, like, and it was incredible to see the number of players in our program who had been like affected personally by suicide or by a friend or something like that. And um, it's, it's kind of, like incredible we actually did a team building session at the end of this last year so now like almost a year and a half removed and um we were talking about like taking a taking a leap of faith and by that we mean like a moment where you chose to be vulnerable or a moment where you chose to put yourself like out there and one of our players who's typically very quiet 
um, the conversation had led to like, okay, when did you take a leap of faith in order to support someone else? Like, when did you do something uncomfortable for you to help somebody else on our team? Mm -hmm. And she talked about that first meeting we had right when Katie had passed away. And maybe a few days after that, when we had really just decided to address the topic of suicide. And she's like, yeah, like one of our, one player had opened up and was like, obviously very emotional. And she's like, yeah, I just felt in that moment, like I felt pulled to share my story because I couldn't let her be the only one. And this is a player who like, doesn't say anything very often at all. And it was incredible. Like just how impactful that moment had been now, 18 months later. Like that was still a moment that she remembered so clearly of like when, when she felt she really contributed to our culture. That's amazing. I I just think it's so, uh, I can't tell you enough how many, we talked to so many coaches who just, there's still this mentality that we need to kind of be the authority and, and kind of have this, like, um, like you were saying, like just the professionalism that, that they're missing this level of vulnerability that can really create the culture, like the winning culture. It's like everybody separates it. So if there's anything I take from this, it's just like, oh, a good deep breath of like, there are great coaches out there doing the right things for their players and it's working and it's, you know, it's success. So I think that's so awesome. Um, so anything else you want to add to, you know, um, I, I think the last question I would have for you, I guess, would be advice for, you know, we have a lot of parents, we, we work with a lot of Uh, teenage girls trying to get recruited what advice as a collegiate coach do you have um, in general in the recruiting process or just mental health wise trying to play at the highest level you know what are your kind of tips there's so many (laughs) there's so many Um, one thing that's been really top of mind for me is um, like parents players families alike like this idea I can't remember the term Exactly. But like when you get upset about something and then you get upset about getting upset and this, we see it all the time. Like our players will get frustrated about something, but then they get even more frustrated at the fact that they're frustrated. Mm -hmm. And it's like that it's, and it happens all the time. And whether that's in the recruiting process, but I think more often when it's like you're facing adversity in life or in soccer, like finding a way to just embrace and accept some of the feelings that you're having and then focusing more on managing the secondary feeling, I think is like just a good skill to have. Mm -hmm. Totally. (laughs) um, We talk a lot in our program about, um, some people would call it emotional control, emotional regulation. One term that I was introduced to recently is emotional agility. Mm -hmm. And I think like, if you're going to focus on a mental health or mental wellness, like tool, emotional agility can be like one of the biggest and most important factors. And it's basically an ability to move through emotions, like efficiently and, and kind of positively, I guess, if you will. Um, what I found is our players that are most successful, the ones that are able to kind of endure some of the ups and downs that we face are the ones that are pretty in tune with their emotions and the ones that have the ability to move through those emotions positively oh god I, that is like you just spoke to our our first session when we work with clubs teams and individuals it's all about just self-awareness of emotions and you can tell the younger players are like why does this matter so hearing somebody like you talking about how it matters and how it plays a huge role in the experience is so helpful because that's what we're trying to teach younger girls so that by the time they come to you guys 
they have that skill, but it's a skill. And a lot of girls think that they, it's either something you have or you don't have, but it's can be worked on, you know? Yeah. And I think even just that approach is really important of like these things that we're talking about. We do a huge curriculum in our program, just about, we call it mental skills training <laughs> because it's training, it's practice. Um, and, you know, we hit on topics like emotional agility. We talk about conflict resolution. We do like effective communication, these types of things. Cause we're like, yeah, like honestly, like it's pretty easy to manage a team when things are going well, mm-hmm. like that's pretty, you know, not too hard. It's when things are difficult and it's not just difficult on the field. It's like, okay, when every single one of our players has midterms and stress is really high, like that's when things get difficult to manage. So how can we help our players manage their stress levels? You Mm -hmm. know, we talk about one of the biggest sources of quote unquote drama or whatever is like when two players have a conflict on our team. So we're like, okay, you know what? We're going to just educate everybody about handling conflict. Mm -hmm. And now we're, we try to really proactively arm our players with the skills necessary to handle some of these things that can cause a lot of stress in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah. And then the byproduct of that is like when they're with us, they're happy and playing well. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, it works. It totally works. But I just love that you take that on and, and understand that it, it is part of your role as a coach. And I think more youth coaches need to start to accept some of that as well, because then they're, they're ultimately you're dealing with people. They're people first and players second. And all of these skill sets are going to help them as people too. And that's important. So, gosh, it's so refreshing talking to you. I love this. Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, I don't want to so keep welcome. you much longer, but I just have to say, I'm just so we're grateful as female advocates to, to see a female um, as yourself, just at the top doing the right things for the right reasons. And we're just so grateful and wish you the most success in your second season. This is so exciting. You're heading into, I'm sure, captain's practices and and you're seeing your preseason coming up right so yeah recruiting time are you done recruiting are you no yeah you're <laughs> never, never done recruiting, we're right? never done recruiting um yeah I actually head out some uh Thursday I think I head out in two days to recruit and then I am actually going to the world cup so <gasps> yeah that's awesome yeah, I'm going so there cool. for uh by Australia standards fairly short trip but got to make it back in time for our preseason so yeah be fun I'm excited you know season yeah season's about to kick off so we'll see how it goes you never can never predict these things but we're gonna do our best yeah well good luck to you have fun at the world cup thank you so much for coming on we're so grateful for your time and your insight and um we'll be following along can't wait to see how you do thank you so much yeah you're so welcome thank you